Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, September 26th, 2019, otherwise known as Johnny Appleseed Day. Now, if you're wondering why the guys don't sound too excited by that or surprised, it's because we had to re-record this intro. So they already knew the bloom was off the rose. Yeah, Chris, that was the third time you tried to say that intro, and... This was not your most exciting. The first one you put so much enthusiasm into. Here, let me you recreate me what I did. Let me recreate it. I, I was went, cheering. Johnny All right. Appleseed Day. All right. It's enough. And then I kind of did things like that in the background. It was pretty exciting and really, really good. It was, it was just good for team morale overall. It was probably the best intro we had ever done. But Well, my question, though, you know, yeah, who's see. fighting for Johnny Appleseed Day? For like National Hot Dog Day or National Pizza Day. Yeah, for one thing, like everyone just Johnny loves Appleseed pizza and hot dogs. But who's out here really fighting for Johnny Appleseed? Maybe like his great, great, great grandchildren. Yeah. Just want to see I also don't remember the Johnny Appleseed story completely. Me neither. He was just sort of a wandering agriculturalist that went around planting apple orchards like all over the country. Did he have and... a tin pot on his head? That seems familiar to me. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the, that was his sort of coonskin camp equivalent. <laughs> not sure if he actually wore that or not. But yeah, he was sort of this like a, like n- traveling nomad person that found his little identity niche and just planted apples everywhere. And at a time where, you know, food was still relatively hard to come by, became hugely appreciated for just doing something to an extreme. He's nice. kind of like a like a person meme where it's like a known character or whatever. But imagine trying to become that before the Internet, way before the Internet. That'd yeah. All that people writing letters about you and sending <laughs> <Yeah>. them around <laughs> to their friends. Dude, check <laughs> this out with just a drawing of a dude with a, a pot on his head. Yeah, everybody drew him a little bit different, but everybody <laughs> put the pot on his head. <laughs> yep. And that's how it became. That's pretty lore. funny. Well, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking who would be like a modern day equivalent? And it might be somebody like the Salt Bay guy, right? I don't that think becomes, I know this guy. That becomes, Not a chance. That becomes known for doing something. Who's uh, the one Salt thing Bay to guy? Like, he's the guy that sprinkles the salt and does the oh, really yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. kind this, of like butcher videos. Yeah, yeah. He's the modern so, day Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> right. So the internet has really celebrated people that do one kind of specific random thing to an extreme and has created this new type of I guess it isn't new, right? This has made it easier to access this kind of obscure, weird skill set celebrity status. Do you, guys, do you guys know who Johnny Bananas is? No. It sounds familiar, but no. It's from MTV Challenge. Like he was on the real world and then it's like there's that show <laughs> MTV Challenge, real world versus road rules. I'm going to say he's the modern day version just because their names are so similar. Johnny Appleseed and Johnny Bananas. Mm. Does he have any other characteristics that would he help, plants help with that? He bananas around the country and wears a tin pot on his head. But other than that, oh, no wow. similarities. Yeah. Doesn't sound anything like him. Yeah. <laughs> That's where they end. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I remember whenever I was a kid, we had a DVD. I can't remember the name of it, but it was basically the story of Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan, and other legendary characters All like that, narrated by James Earl Jones. Ooh. It was animated. It was real good. Nice and deep voice to get you learning about that, John. And you don't remember anything. Ben had to still give us the education. Well, I was sort of mixing him up with Paul Bunyan. I was like, okay. did he plant all these apple trees? I think and he had like a sore on his foot or something. I don't know. Right. Well, I just remembered that he was planting seeds, but I was sort of uh, thinking to what end. But I guess yeah. it was just because we needed People more need apples. apples around. People need them. Yeah. All right. Well, what have you been working on this week, Chris? I'm actually just getting ready. As soon as we finish recording, I'm going to start a new video, which I believe I briefly mentioned on here, not a project, but I'm going to do a sort of like circular saw versus track saw versus table saw video. I talked about that, right? You did. I, I love this idea. Look this is going to be killer. You guys can't see this at home, but I got myself a little rubric here so that it'll help me oh, when wow. I'm filming. So here's, here's what I wrote down as my notes to self. Maybe you guys will have some ideas on this. So basically for the different tools that I'm going to show, I'm going to show circular saws, track saws, the ACS, the Craig adaptive cutting system, just because it's kind of like, I feel like it's a weird kind of middleman between a track saw and then I'll show job site saws and cabinet saws, but I'll basically just make it a table saw portion. And then the types of cuts that I want to show are rip cuts, cross cuts, angled cuts, and then dados and rabbits. I feel like that comprises like 99.5% of all cuts that you would probably make on any of those tools. And like anything else that you would do is probably some variation of those. So 
yeah, I don't know. I, I wrote some like little notes of like just things that I want to make sure I, I film because I feel like it's going to be like a lot of shots and it's, they're all going to look kind of the same. So I wanted to just like write down a couple ideas going in. But I don't know. Are there any like major things that you feel like I'm just missing right off the bat? Well, I think one of the biggest things when it comes to those different tools is the scale of the cut. Mm -hmm. The irony of it is like a table saw is the biggest tool, but it's the easiest thing to get really small pieces cut on. Right. I have and a note so in here about that, Mike. Right. So it's that sort of versatility of, you know, am I cutting down and breaking down a lot of plywood? Am I trying to build a lot of solid wood projects where I might be doing a lot more, you know, a lot more rip cuts that are just repeated and back to back or a lot more kind of casework type things, you know? Right. So I would be really interested to see sort of your take on it and especially the edit and see how it all comes together. Yeah. I be think it would be maybe be really fun to record your cuts vertically instead of horizontally so you could sort of stack up four cuts oh, over I see one screen saying. like split yeah, yeah, yeah. screen it almost right so you can actually that i was thinking about doing something like that like just for fun like having like a segment where it's like okay i need to cut 10 panels that are this exact size and do it on each tool and just like show a time lapse of like it took this long on this tool this long on this tool i feel yeah. like that's the kind of stuff like you shouldn't really be worrying about unless you're in like a production facility it doesn't really matter right. for the scale that a it, hobbyist would do it at, but it would just yeah, be this kind of took interesting five to minutes see. And yeah, the table saw took five minutes and the circular saw took seven and a half. Right, like who really so, cares at that yeah. point? What you were saying, Mike, actually the, the inverse of that is true too, where like, yeah, table saw is the biggest, but it's actually the easiest to make the small cuts on, but it's also the one that's the most size limited of any of those. We're like, you know, there's a, oh, yeah. there's a maximum to how big of a panel you could cross cut, whereas with the circular yep. saw, there is no limit. Yeah, and, I, and I think separating cabinet saws and job size saws, which I know you're kind of going to do. Yeah, I think that's another key of saying, you know, once you get a, a table saw, like table of a certain size, that's when you're able to work with like larger sheets of plywood, more like uh, more impressive sized pieces. Because right. a job site saw, like you really can't work with things much bigger than like four by four, three foot by four foot, something like that before it's it starts little, really getting little hairy, shaky, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So my idea was basically like I wrote down, I don't know, these like 40 shots or whatever that I want to make sure that I get initially. And so probably what I'll do is I'll get all those shots and then I'll go back and like start writing a voiceover. And then I'm cool. assuming I'll probably have to do like some pickup shots. So this one will be a little bit different than the normal video where there'll be like a phase A and a phase B of it in terms of how I'll have to produce it. Yeah, this makes me think it would be really convenient making this video if you needed to build an entire kitchen cabinet set or something like that. Yeah. yeah where I you actually, just already had an absurd amount of cuts to make. I mean, that's the thing is I feel like I probably already have like all of the footage that I would ever need for this video. I've already captured just in doing other projects. But Ben kind of mentioned this. Like it gets to a point where if you need so many of those things, just digging through the footage I'd almost rather just like come to the shop for a day and film a bunch of cuts totally. than like sit there and try to find everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. That's going to be a fun video, though. I like it a lot. Yeah, and it was, it's kind of funny how the three of us, we really do stick to project videos hard. Yeah. Like that's sort of our thing. And we don't often divert from that. But those types of videos, whether it's, you know, five cool circular saw tips or hacks right. or those sort of things. Those videos do really well and there's definitely an audience for it. And if those videos and that audience is going to exist, then I think it's awesome that you're contributing because I know you're going to do a thorough job and it won't be like biased or anything like that. It'll be good. Yeah. And it's definitely like a self-serving kind of thing where this is the type of question that you get asked a lot and it'll be nice oh, to rather than responding it, just be like, hey, I have this video that kind of goes over it that'll help you determine what's for you. Because that's the other thing is yeah. like, you know, people want to just ask you like, what should I get? And obviously in a video, you're not talking to one person. So it's impossible to say that. But hopefully I can present it in a way where like, here are all my thoughts on these things. And now like, you know yourself. So and knowing what my opinion is, you can kind of like match those two things together and say, here's what Chris would probably recommend to somebody like me. So do you get fresh blades on everything? The freshest. Actually, I don't. I'm going all uh -oh. dull. Now, See, all my blades are, they're already all good. If you say so. I say so. You're going to say the cut quality on this isn't as good as something else, but then you're not even using new blades, my man. You know what I'll do is I'll say, I'm not, I'm specifically not going to talk about cut quality because you could always change the blade on anything. You know, okay. you can get a plywood specific blade, blah, 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 blah. That's good. I'm just throwing that out there because I know, I like you know, I'm trying to be the, I'm trying to be yeah, your, the, the naysayer, the naysayer in advance. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to think if there's any other like plot holes I can find, but that's really about it. I like it. You got me thinking.
Yeah, but I watched your uh, your headphone stand video oh, yeah. a couple nights ago, and it was really good. The epoxy sandwich one. Yeah, it's gonna you be had a new me thing. rolling. Uh, you had me rolling during your ad read. I think that was the funniest ad read I've seen in a long time. Oh yeah, where uh, Dolores wouldn't get my my shaving necessities. Yeah, I just loved your like little. <laughs> the I don't know exactly what to say, but whatever your script was on that, it was really hilarious. We uh, so. The, a new video just came out this morning where Sean built a desk that's like Bad Larry inspired. Cool. And so in all of his videos that he's had on my channel so far, I've been in there in some way. And so he's like, yeah, like we got to think of something to like get you in the video. So it's not just him the whole time. And so basically I said, like, why don't we do a thing where you call me to get advice? Like we get on a FaceTime and you're getting advice for the Bad Larry but then like I'm just rambling on and on and you can like interject it throughout the video. So it, it came out really funny. Like I want you to check it out to see what you think. Um, it's always cool. one of those things where you're afraid that it's just like because it's you and your friend, like it seems funny to you, but then it's not funny to other people. So right, I, like right. An inside I, joke that doesn't translate. Right. So I want you guys to like watch it after this and then let me know if it came off funny. But I thought it came off really funny. Like he did a really good job with the execution and the editing of it. Basically, I just okay. recorded like five minutes of myself rambling about random topics on there. And then it made it look like he was like very <laughs> bored watching it. OK, yeah, yeah, we'll check it out. I'm excited to see. So how's all that going, though? Having him contribute videos to the channel and, uh, you know, build projects for Four Eyes. It's funny. We were, so we were just talking about that this morning. Like so far, I would say it's going well. Like, you know, but obviously, you know, you'll get a few of those comments that are like negative or whatever. Like, oh, I came here for Chris's videos and blah, blah. And I almost like it bugs me more when it's directed towards somebody else than towards me. Yeah. Because like if it's towards me, I can be like, whatever. But then like I feel bad for Sean if they're like saying crap to him. Sorry, my audience is so mean to you. Yeah. All but no, I was telling him, I was like, OK, so there's like one dude and it's got three thumbs up that commented on it. And this video has been live for two hours. And I said, just assume that all four people feel that way. And I was like, here's the math on it. It was five ten thousandth of one percent is like what that yeah. would come out to. So it's just one of those things you just got to always remind yourself, like people are watching the videos. It's still overwhelmingly positive. Most of the people who consume our stuff, like the reality is ninety nine point nine nine percent of people are people you will never know and will never interact with. It's a small group of people that you actually get to interact with. And even those yeah. people, it's mostly positive. But like, and also, yeah, that's that same amount of negative comments that exist on his video would have existed on your video also, but just probably In about some something else. Form, they would have yeah. said like, yeah, they would have said, hey, Chris, w that ad read wasn't funny, even though you thought it was. And then two or now three I'm people offended. would thumbs up it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. always going to be something that gets a couple negative thumbs up. And but I yeah, think he's lying. I don't think he came there for you. I think he probably clicked on the video because it was in his suggested video feed. Right, right, right. And he's kind of just a crappy person. And that was the quickest thing he could think of to complain about. I don't I, know, though. I do love opening up a YouTube video and seeing Chris's face and his tranquil voiceover. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like uh, here's the other thing is we're in this weird sort of like purgatory stage with it right now. Because the right. plan is early next year, he will move here, we'll combine shops, and then it's going to be a lot more natural of an integration. Right now, it's kind of weird where like, he'll do some parts of some videos in my shop. This one's totally in his shop. Nothing was filmed here. So right. it, it's going to become more normal. And it's also one of those things where like, honestly, like on the internet, there's this kind of aversion to change in general, where like, I can guarantee you, if this goes on for two years, and then in two years, he's gone you'll get those same comments that are like, oh man, I miss having Sean on your channel. It's just like exactly. anytime you change something, <laughs> somebody's going to say something. Is yeah, but an aversion to change or just a complaining about change? Yeah, I guess probably more a, a temporary aversion that leads to complaining. But then as they get used to seeing it, they're like, oh, I do like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's sure. just, it's just expectations, right? When a certain expectation isn't exactly met, certain people are going to be upset about that or whatever. But it's, it's at the end of the day, it's the same advice that we give Everybody, you know, that emails us individually or whenever we talk about it on the podcast, uh, we always say, you know, just start making a YouTube channel, make videos, don't get affected by the negative comments, get affected by the positive ones if that's something that, you know, is good for you. But if we're going to give that advice to other people in respect to them starting a channel, you got to take it when it comes yeah. to your own channel and trying new things and, and expanding and that sort of thing also. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things where like, it's easy to like step back and be like, here's the reality of this situation. 
But there's always that like half second where you're like, this pisses me off reading this. Yeah, exactly. Like, Why don't just, they get it? That's just being a human. So how's it going whenever it comes down to picking out projects? Are you it's, guys doing that collaboratively and picking video ideas collaboratively? Yeah. Oh, let me Col- edit that real quick. Collaboratively. <laughs> nice, nice pickup. Yeah. yeah, we are definitely like always talking about projects. So we'll kind of like look at like, okay, next month we have, we're going to do four videos. I'm thinking about doing these two things. If there's a opportunity for some sort of synergy, we'll try to do that. So like, for example, early next month, I'm going to do that floating epoxy kind of thing that I was talking about a couple months ago for LG for the TV. And so I said, if you're going to come down here and we're going to do two projects at that same time, like if you can think of something that incorporates epoxy, that'd be ideal because then we can like have a time where we're just setting up our forms. We do the pours, we come back the next day, we pick back up. So it's just like, you know, doing those kind of tasks together, work together. So that's as like, I would never dictate more than that. And even that I'd be like, if he has a different idea, I'd be like, cool, do it. It's just like, you know, these will be things that'll make the workflow easier. I like it. Yeah, it's going to be really neat whenever you guys combine a shop because I kind of assumed that that was sort of the plan. Yeah. uh, Even though you hadn't told us yet. And I think it'll just be cool seeing the background stuff that's happening in each of your videos. Right. Yeah. Because multiple projects going on simultaneously. Yeah. Because there's a certain part of all three of us that kind of keeps things under wrap until you're ready to share it. So whether it's a project in progress, for me, I like to kind of be a day or two in advance. That way, if I have something that comes up, I can kind of keep the Instagram stories going or I can keep the Instagram posts rolling. Mm-hmm. But if you guys are going to have each other's projects constantly in each other's background, right. it'll kind of be interesting to see how you don't let that spoil each other's kind of plans or whatever. It'll be neat. Yeah, it'd be one of those things where it almost become like more work to try to hide it. And you're just like, forget yeah. it at some point. <laughs> You exactly. should uh, consider doing a shop setup video for two people. I yeah. think the workflow for how you manage, you know, for what you decide you need redundancies for, like two table saws right. versus what things can be kind of a shared resource right. yeah. and how you plan that out, I think would be interesting, right? So like, do you have his and his clamps or do you have just like one big clamp rack? Yeah. Right. right. Like how do you, like the, the way you sort of negotiate and manage the different kind of tool assets and what's communal and what's sort of specialized and how things are sort of set up with different preferences within the same space, I think will yeah. be pretty interesting content. We already know there's a lot of people interested interested in shop setup videos and this kind of like two guys, one shop is a, a nice twist on it. <laughs> yeah. And that's we're not your making that podcast. kind of video. <laughs> and that's your guys' podcast that you eventually do. <laughs> two guys, one shop. <laughs> so I'm assuming that you're going to be taking over more space in your shop because you're sort of in a, in a warehouse yeah. and stocking facility uh, and you're taking up a portion of that space. Are you just going to eat more of that up? Yeah. So Jason, the guy that I'm that owns the warehouse that we're in. We've been talking about it and we've already started kind of reorganizing. Like things are actually messier right now because it's in that like reorganizing state. But the plan is to definitely free up some more floor space. And then a couple business ideas that like nothing's set in stone yet. So I'm I'm reluctant to talk about it, but I'll, I'll briefly mention it. Like the rough idea is to eventually start doing like workshops out of here, you know, like classes for maybe like eight to 10 people. So a lot of the shop setup is like with that in mind. That's awesome. So yeah, that's, we should have enough space. Like we've already like drawn it all out and I've proposed something and Jason's on board with it and he's actually going to be a part of it as well. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're figuring it all out still. And that's the tenant plan. And hopefully by early next year, it'll all be like ready. Man, that would be very cool. If that's the case, assembly tables and whatnots on wheels. Yeah. That way you can sort of reconfigure for classes, but then bring it back into, you know, filming mode, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we've we've got like a rough idea of the layout, but I think doing a video could be a cool idea. And it's actually nice. That's that like, fun. We've already talked and thought about it quite a bit, like going into it. And there's actually going to be so once we know for sure exactly what we're doing, there'll be a lot of things that we'll want to build. For, you know, build out to, to make it so. Totally. And so hopefully by like, you know, December, January, February, like a lot of project videos can kind of be tailored around that, like building the things that we're going to need for that to help kind of like promote it to more naturally. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's kind of funny. So LA, California, that whole, the whole LA area is mm-hmm. so big that I know workshops and things like that are super common, 
but even throughout the Midwest, everywhere, like you go to you go to Des Moines, you go to Oklahoma City, Tulsa, every one of those cities sort of has a clay studio, a glass blowing shop, and some sort of fabrication shop that does those classes. Mm-hmm. Maybe woodworking isn't quite as common as maybe you know, like a pottery studio that does those sort of right. classes. But even even if it is a little bit smaller, basically every sort of major city in in the U.S. at least has something like that. So right. that's a really cool resource if you can sort of be the guy that can can show a proper setup and then maybe show some infrastructure things that make working with a with a group or with a class easier. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and I mean, the hope is that, you know, luckily it's a place that's like easy to travel to and everything. So, you know, we could get people from all over the country, potentially the world that might be interested in coming and like building a specific project. And then, you know, we got to figure certain, it all out. But yeah, bringing, that's the idea. bringing in people to do specific classes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. On the workbench. Bring in some epoxy experts Ooh. or bring in some Epox concrete works. experts, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Send it to an ad read, Chris. All right. That's enough about me. Let's hear about some ads or sponsors. <laughs> How was that for a segue? <laughs> Thank you, Storyblocks, for supporting this episode of the Modern Maker Podcast. Storyblocks video is a great service for when you're in need of a quick video clip for B-roll, After Effects templates, or motion backgrounds for your videos. I really like using it for the vector graphics. So if I need a pattern to CNC or laser etch onto a material, I'll look at Storyblocks and I'll just search under textures and patterns. And what's awesome is they'll have some things that look like they're hand-drawn, but they're vector files, so you can scale them perfectly without them becoming pixelated. It's also just a great resource for actually sifting through ideas because it's so well curated. So anytime you're looking at a project and you think, hey, maybe this wardrobe's just a little bit flat or dry, and you're trying to get an idea for either maybe a stencil that you paint on it, be sure to check out these kind of graphics. And they're royalty-free, so you can use them both for professional or for just hobbyist use. So by joining Storyblocks, you'll have access to studio quality clips, templates, motion backgrounds, and more at a fraction of the cost. You can download as much as you want from their member library and get exclusive discounts to millions of additional marketplace clips where you'll save 40% off every purchase compared to non-members. New clips are added regularly, so there's always something fresh to download. So head over to storyblocks.com modernmaker to get started today. Again, that's storyblocks.com modernmaker. Or just click the link in the description. All right. Thanks, Storyblocks. Are you the fastest grinder in America? Well, me personally, I'm not. I've never ground anything. Grinded anything? I might be, though. Since I never grinded, I could be the fastest in America. If you think you, you might have the be. the potential. That's right. And 3M wants me or you to prove it. So they're looking for 12 metal workers to go head-to-head in the second annual 3M Clash of the Grinders at this year's Fabtech conference in Chicago. Look, we all know grinding welds is part of the job and not necessarily the most fun part, but 3M is going to make it fun at Fabtech. So test your skills against other metal workers from around the country to find out who's the fastest grinder in America. Me. So here's, Yeah, exactly. Here's how it's going to work. Go to 3M dot com slash podclash to enter 12 grinders will be chosen to compete in a grind off taking down three four inch welds one with a fiber disc one with a grinding wheel and one with a flap disc this is fun this is i actually really like these kind of like head-to-head challenges because it helps dispel a lot of uh, myths about the different tools and different accessories and whoever does it fastest wins the grand prize package including a speed glass welding helmet and 3M Cubitron 2 grinding wheels and discs. Not to mention bragging rights for a year, which we all know is worth it. Think you've got what it takes? Go to 3M.com slash podclash. That's P-O-D-C-L-A-S-H to sign up. That's 3M.com slash podclash. All right, we're back. Now, quickly, before we talk about what you guys got going, because I know you guys have a lot going with you being back in Joshua Tree and everything. Let's I don't know, a- probably not as much as you, Chris. You just talked for 25 minutes. That was mostly you guys asking me questions and you know it. No, you're right, it was. <laughs> but kidding. no, let's do a, an update on like just some of the cool stuff that we've been seeing for the Brockler Bentwood Challenge. So, oh, yeah, good idea. I've got a project to I want to highlight. Yeah, go for it. All right, so my shout out this week is going to be at Weber Workshop. And he is working on, if you could imagine, a bent wood bar cart. And it is really coming out awesome. And he's doing... 
an incredibly good job of sort of documenting it between both normal Instagram posts as well as daily Instagram stories. So the long story short of what he's doing is basically making a bunch of U-shapes, but each of the U-shapes have a 90-degree bend at the at the end of them as well. And that's sort of where the handles are going to integrate and everything. Um, so he's sort of doing multiple bends in each piece. He's done an incredibly good job of... You know, he sort of makes forms like you, Chris. Yeah. Whenever me and Ben make forms for things, it's like, how can we just get chunks of wood together so that we can bend it around it? But right. you guys both did a great job of taking the time up front to make a clean form that's just going to perform really well. And so perform. I sort of, I've sort of taken a lot of notes from watching his stories as well as your video, Chris, because uh, while we're doing this challenge, I still want to get one more bent wood project out. And uh, it's definitely it's definitely been nice having both your content as well as his to watch. Um, but check it out. It is at Weber Workshop. And I'm going to shoot him a DM and say, throw out an, a, a highlight. That way, the people that show up now can see everything that you've already posted on your stories. Mike, you're going to drop a Bentwood deuce. I dropped a Bentwood deuce. Yeah. Ben, any, pro any plans for a deuce? No, I got it right the first time. No, I was kidding. <laughs> he nailed it. No, I got it right the, <laughs> no, first, the first go time. around. <laughs> oh, um, really quickly though, Ben, before you go, actually, uh, Blake Weber. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember his first name off the top of my head, and I didn't want to get it wrong. But Blake Weber, he actually already has a highlight going on, and it's just titled Bar Cart. So check that out, and you'll get caught up. But Ben, what were you saying? I might do another bent project. I'm considering. I'm curious with uh, some of the tropical hardwoods, how they would bend. Mm. The grain is pretty straight and there's kind of a, I think there's so much oil in the wood that it seems like it should be pretty flexible without cracking. And then I was actually thinking of uh, like a long time ago, I made handrails out of uh, Ipe and, you know, I just took two one inch pieces, glued them together and then used a, a router bit to put, to make it almost completely round and it was great because it was like all the wear and tear of people grabbing it and then using it for this exhibit kind of polished it and really burnished and brought the oil to the surface so i was thinking of doing something similar i don't want to do a rocking chair just because i feel like rocking chairs take up so much space and are also like you know always like crushing uh things <laughs> unintentionally but i i would like to experiment with that material i just haven't thought of the right application yet that would that would really get everything going i am going to be bending a lot of other stuff though but it's going to be steel because we started working on the treeless treehouse so uh, i'll talk about that a little bit later the rockler bentwood challenge project that really caught my eye is from jt woodworks oh yeah who i met at uh, workbench con really talented guy check out his instagram it's just under jt woodworks and you can see what i'm talking about but he's doing a really interesting pattern for kerf bending. It almost looks like it was like a CNC'd or router templated pattern that's curved rather than the typical straight perpendicular cuts. And he's doing some very precarious plywood bending with it. So check his out. Very nice. My pick is Uncommon Outpost. And I'm actually not sure exactly what she's building, but it almost doesn't matter <laughs> because it's more about the technique that she's using. Which yep. She's calling hot pipe bending. So it looks like she basically has like a burnsomatic or whatever going into a like set up in a jig where it's like shooting to the inside of a metal pipe. And then it looks like she wets the wood, thin strips, and then kind of like forms the bend around that, like in real yeah. time. I'm not exactly sure how it works. I've never seen anybody do this before. This was something I was not familiar with, but it's really she's interesting. Getting really she's getting really tight bends with it. She's got some she's really, tight, really tight, crazy bends. bends. Yeah. Like yeah, it looks it's like really it'd be, cool. Like I could imagine that technique being something where like, say you built like a shelf or something, but then left the end of it like this and then like formed it all crazy in the real time. So like you had a wall mounted shelf where it was going and then just like went all wild at the end. Right. Like all the strips sort of got pressed or glued together to create the shelf, but then came unraveled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would the be unravel crazy. unravel shelf. Yeah, unravel is a great word. That's one of those good kind of descripting, but name words. You call it something unravel and you know it's good. You know what's happening. 
Like, you, right. like if you called it the spaghetti shelf, you'd be like, ah, Ooh, I, I like that even better. That. I'm back. I'm on board. Spaghetti shelf. Unravel's got a level of class to it. That's true. It's like it's a classy elevated. spaghetti. And to be fair, it's more of a fettuccine shelf. That's true. Oh, there you it go. Would be yeah, very yeah. much a. <laughs> a or there's probably even a noodle that's a flatter, wider fettuccine, yeah. I'm sure. There's like a billion different pasta shapes. Right. But what are you guys working on? You guys got a lot going on. You're back, Mike, back in California. I could sense it. I'm happy to report. Yeah, probably because you can see my bedroom <laughs> nope. in the Google Hangout, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm happy to report that I'm back in Joshua Tree. This is something that I sort of kept very low key, especially on the podcast until I got out here, just because I had a lot going on back home that I was sort of trying to get finished before I got here. And so why confuse everybody and start shouting out what I'm going to do when there's plenty of things that I can just talk about that I'm doing in the moment. So I got the patio back home all finished up before I left. That was sort of the last big project that I had to get done. And boy, I am happy with how it came out. Uh, For anybody that hasn't heard about it in a while, I partnered with Home Depot to do a, a paver brick patio. And, you know, I basically went over to my buddy Caleb's because he already had an existing brick patio that was sort of becoming unlevel. All the all the pavers were sort of not meeting at the corners like they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we hang out pretty casually uh, on a regular basis. It's just kind of attached to a side yard. And so we ripped out all of those pavers, laid down some new ones in a really nice herringbone pattern. I painted up the fence, did some quick flower beds, even though I didn't put any flowers in it. I just put snake plants in it and then just did that up. I I finished that project the day that I flew to Joshua Tree. Wow. I, I had a flight out at about four o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. And so <laughs> the night before I was sort of wrapping everything up, I got all the flowers or I'm sorry, I got all the snake plants planted mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, the only thing left to do is my intro and outros and all of my glamour shots. And so I was sitting there. I was like, okay, my flight leaves at four. I've got to leave Caleb's by noon to get to the airport on time. And so I was, I was sort of scheduling out my day so that I could film the day that I had to fly out. But I got all the shots I needed. I went through all my footage, got all the pickup shots that I kind of forgot to get along the way. So I'm going to be piecing that content together over the next week or so because there's just a lot of footage. Um, And that video will be coming out soon. But in the meantime, I posted a video of a a long LED lit floating media console for the home theater that I converted from an attic. And, you know, that was one of those projects that I had sort of slapped together just to get the home theater video out. Mm -hmm. But now that I have that out and I got it all edited, I wanted to take some time and go back and really kind of build a proper piece of furniture for that room. And I think it came out nice. It's just a simple plywood case. It's really shallow. I mean, we've had that conversation a million times on this show. Yeah. But the the big part about the project is it's about a six foot long cabinet. It might even be. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It is a full eight foot long cabinet because Mm. I remember I didn't cut the plywood to length at all for the top and bottom. Mm -hmm. And the door itself is one single eight foot long door. And it's got the same sort of pattern that I used in the in the theater room on the facer boards of the landings. And so it's just a little sunburst sort of gradient effect that I made out of relief cuts. Also similar to the round table that I did at your shop, Chris, that's sort of trying to incorporate that. I don't know if I have a modern build style at all, but I think that's a really cool way to sort of class up some either solid wood or plywood. Just some relief cuts are a great way to kind of add a little bit of something. We can call it the Mike Monk gradient. (laughs) Monk gradient. I like that. But but it's funny, man. I'll tell you what. This is the one time that having a sponsor contributed to the project rather than detracted from the project, at (laughs) least in my eyes. (laughs) Because a lot of times it's like, you know, uh, a sponsor really doesn't affect the project at all. It's sort of, you know, Squarespace will come to me and say, hey, we want to sponsor some videos. And I say, great. And I basically just kind of put the video out. They really don't have any sort of say in what the project looks like or what I build. Right. But Philips Hue reached out. Uh, not too long ago, and they wanted to do some some videos that are featuring obviously Philips Hue lights. Yep. And so I was thinking about what I could do, and I immediately thought about the theater room because where else do lights like that kind of make sense than in a home theater? So I was thinking about projects for the space, and whenever I landed on the media console, I thought, okay, how do I integrate some LEDs? The obvious thing is to do some undermount LEDs, which is something mm-hmm. that 
someone like Glenn from DIY Creators does really, really well. That's one of his strong suits is sort of incorporating electronics, ready-mades, and LEDs into projects. But it's not my strong suit. I kind of tend to be a little bit more reserved when it comes to that sort of thing. But obviously, since I was working with Philips Hue and it was something that could have rounded out the video more, um, I added them and I could not be more excited with it. I'm sort of like obsessed. I posted one. I posted two pictures on my Instagram. One of them was just the the console table by itself uh, with just white undermount lighting. But then I did a second post that was all the lights in the room were like purple and blue. But then yeah. the, the undermount lighting were another color. And it was just like this sort of like Tron inspired like color theme. And it looked, it looked really cool. It changed, it kind of changed my thought process about adding LEDs to things. That purple and blue one that you did, or maybe I don't know if purple is even the right word. It's like a reddish purple. Yeah. And then, and then like a, yeah, like a tealish blue or whatever. That's the color scheme that's like heavily used in Fortnite season 10. So you (laughs) you may be able to piggyback off some of that and get like 30 million views. I wish I could. I wish I knew this so I could have hashtagged Fortnite stuff yeah, on Fortnite my Instagram season, post. Season 10. Yeah. In there. Yeah. But it was a fun project. And even though it wasn't anything too crazy, I've been I've been trying to make my videos a little bit more thorough in each individual step because I'm realizing more and more that as I'm creating PDF plans, I'm sort of getting a little bit n- more numbers on how many people are actually downloading my plans to build the projects. And it's more than I expected. And so now that I'm making, now that I'm not so worried about making my videos under five minutes or under seven minutes, right? like I was when I started, now it's more about, am I covering every step in a thorough way? You know, the videos are getting a little bit longer, but I'm happy with them because they're becoming, I think, really, really solid tutorials and step-by-steps now. Remind me to talk to you about that off the air, Mike. I want to get some information from you about something. You want my numbers? I want to get those numbers. You want my download, my, my plan download statistics well it's funny because i actually i reached out to patreon because i upload sketchup files for everything that you know every project that i post i'll put the sketchup file in there and i don't know like how many people are downloading downloading these so i reached out to patreon to see if i could get that info and they're like oh Mm. we don't have that info i was like it has that info definitely exists somewhere i think it's just a matter of getting a hold of the right person yeah so you know Paid plans are a super common thing, and it's not something that I have anything against, but my whole move with Modern Builds has been, uh, especially once I sort of had enough sponsors to where I'm making enough money that I'm totally happy, you know? Mm -hmm. My whole move is like, make everything free, make the videos free, make the plans free, and then just get money from the sponsors. You know, that's sort of been my approach with everything. And so for plans, all they have to do is enter their email address and then... If they opt in, then that means that they go to my mailing list, even though I've never sent an email with my mailing list yet. Yeah. But the cool thing is I'm starting to, I'm starting to really rack up an email list with a lot of people because on average, like one plan will usually get between 30 and 60 downloads a week. Okay. And, you know, now that I'm getting a library of probably about 10, 10 projects that have really good PDF plans, that thing is really growing fast. And so now that I do sort of have that sort of rough number of how many people are downloading plans. I'm, I'm sort of reconfiguring my videos. Like I mentioned, I'm like, okay, instead of just breezing through how to install this hinge, like, let me talk about these surface mounted hinge hinges, why I use them. And, you know, for this project, which is for this console, which was definitely leaning towards the DIY approach. Cause I sort of glued and screwed everything together. It wasn't one of those things where I did a, like a dowling jig or I did something like that. I knew that this was maybe leaning a little bit more towards DIY. So with that in mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to not use European style hinges. I'll do some surface mount ones, but I'll explain why I use these surface mount ones over anything else and that sort of thing. Right. So just trying to go in a little bit deeper on each subject. And I definitely think, Chris, you're a little bit of an influence on that for sure. Well, I was going to say, so I feel like I'm at this weird spot where like in order to, if I want to make the video for the people who like legit want to build this thing and want all the info and want you to talk them through the more complicated parts of the video or the build. It can't be a YouTube video. Like, because <laughs> already the way that I'm doing it, we're like, I'm kind of like glossing over a lot of things like this dresser. I just finished editing it yesterday. It'll come out in early October. It's like yeah. a 20 minute long video and that's glossing over things. So I feel right. like to make the thing where I'm actually like, okay, here are like the kind of tricks that you're going to use to get this part right. It's, you know, it would turn into a two hour video. It would be insane. Yeah. 
and it's also the type of thing where like I've I tried doing some written plans and like I definitely want written plans to be a part of whatever my plans end up being. Yeah. But there's certain things that I feel like it's just easier to show in a 10 minute video segment than it would be to ever read it. Like it just it just doesn't come across in the written word for whatever reason. So I feel yeah. like everything's pushing me towards video plans. I think so. Well, it just it makes sense. And for a few reasons, one, you do a great job of making uh, like really detailed videos. Whenever you don't gloss over things, you do a very thorough job. And whenever I'm trying to learn something, I always watch a video tutorial over going and reading, reading right. directions or something like that. So I think that that's really smart. But I think the key is to almost approach the, the projects that you make as video tutorials or as video plans. Like, let's say it's going to be two hours worth of content around this one project. Mm -hmm. Just plan two of those a year. Make sure that maybe one of the projects is largely plywood. Maybe the second project is largely solid wood. And in each of those, you sort of have every major skill builder or every major technique that you use on a common basis so that whenever you gloss over them in your YouTube videos, you've sort of detailed them in depth in those plans. Right. But basically, like, pick the projects that sort of hit every common joinery method that you use or kind of hit every every common, you know, whether it's the geometry that you use regularly and things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe use those to cover the bases really in depth so that you can gloss over them in YouTube. Right. And I mean, there's already so much of that. Like literally, I think in the, in that dresser video I was just talking about, I think there are like three or four times where I say, if you want to see this in more detail, <laughs> go check out this video where I covered it in yeah. detail, where it's like one of those things where it's like, it just doesn't make sense to cover it every single time. Yeah, yeah. But that's the beauty of it, right? You're not yeah. going to go in depth on every step for everything. So right. like I mentioned. Sense, like you should use your back catalog as sort of like a, an appendix. Yeah, it's that idea of like what I mentioned, I think last podcast episode was, you know, how I like to glue and screw everything together where I recess my screw heads and then put a dowel over top. So it looks like dowel joinery, but I'm able to just put it together really fast and slap it together. Right. Whenever I do that, I detail... I detail it like one ev out of every five times. I kind of go into detail about it. The other four times, I sort of just do it. I, I do the voiceover at normal speed. I kind of tell people what I'm doing, but I don't go into the, the details of it. Right, right, right. And, and it's exactly what you're saying. Because if you go over it in detail every time, then the people that watch every video are going to be like, wow, this again? Right. You know, so it's just finding that like it's just finding that sweet spot exactly for the people who want it they can find it but you don't have to cover it every time ben it's interesting to me to hear what people think is uh instructive versus educational mm -hmm. i don't find step by step instructions educational i find them as a as a crutch so that i don't have to learn something so if i read a recipe and then perform it exactly there's a good chance that the next time I will still have to look at the recipe again. And then eventually, maybe over a lot of repetition, I'll memorize it. But where I learn things I feel like a lot quicker is when I watch a cooking show and they explain, okay, here's how to reverse sear a tri-tip. And then I'm like, oh, they, I may not remember all the specific, okay, you set your grill to this temperature and then you lower it to this or you start it low and then you raise it to this. It doesn't matter though. I learned the concept of, reverse searing. And that's something I can take away and understand and is, can kind of go with me as an idea. Yeah. Instructions and is fine. Like instructions have a great place for really technical processes. I find them not that helpful for learning new ways of thinking or creative ideas. I think instruction can often bog down and obscure the important concepts by equating all steps to equal importance, right? Like if you write written instructions for a woodworking thing, you know, applying glue might be step three and applying four might be putting a dado stack on and, you know, cutting dados into a board, which is a way more important step. But the nature of the instructions might give them sort of a certain type of equivalency. So it's yeah. like it, it, step by step instructions are really useful in things like if I'm setting up complex electronics or a new CNC machine. I want step-by-step -step instructions because it's something I'm going to do once, hopefully. Right. <laughs> and it's something where it's not really open to creative interpretation because all the parts are already there. What I've been thinking more and more about for videos is 
less and less of step-by-step instructions because, uh, you know, I, I kind of think of it as the teaching someone to fish versus uh kind of thing. So like I just did this concrete and copper bench and the 99% of the video is techniques I've already done and shown. So I didn't really go over those in detail. Uh, also, I just don't think those things are as important or matter as much to the outcome of the project. And what I was excited about showing was this one little trick of how I embedded the copper couplings and how I did that into the surface so that there wasn't a lot of chip out around the copper to concrete uh, connection. Yep. So that's, that was the, you know, really the whole video. And I kept the video short since it was just about that one idea was, was showing that discovery. And then there was a little bit of light instruction around it, but it's really just the, the garnishes to the thing I was excited about sharing was, which was this way of getting a nice flush copper clad hole in a piece of white concrete. Yeah. So, so in that video, you're not going to go in depth about how to get a good concrete pour. You'll go into, you went into detail about how you made the form because it was a little bit different, how you integrated the, the copper. But in that video, the, the big hitter isn't how to make a good concrete pour. The big hitter is incorporating the copper pipes and everything. So you're saying like, don't waste your time with this stuff that everybody quote unquote already knows, focus on the, the heater idea. I'm not telling anyone what they should do. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm just saying. But, but yeah, for yeah, me, it's all, just less And always imposing his will mm-hmm. on all of us. No, what I was going to say is to go back to your initial point, Ben, about like, you know, the different ways to learn step by step, et cetera. I think, yeah, it just kind of comes down to the person. So like personally speaking, I feel like I take away the same thing that you're talking about from something that's step by step. And I think that the, yeah. the good thing about the step by step for me and probably for a lot of people is that you're working towards a defined end, but you can still, if you want to, or if you're the type of person that does, you can still take away those like, oh, cool. Like, I, let me re- rephrase this. I feel like I'm the type of person that if you showed me how to build one chair in depth, I would take away a bunch from that and I'd be like, cool. Now I have the tools to come up with a bunch of chair ideas. Right. I think a lot of people are like that. But the and and you could get that without teaching me to build the chair. You could just show me like the the few important aspects that'll get me there or whatever. But working towards that end is like a motivator that keeps yes. me going. And it's kind of similar to something that I talked about initially. Like the first cabinet piece that I ever built was Bad Larry, which is like seems stupid to be the the first <laughs> thing that you're ever building is a trapezoid. Yeah. Trial but, by fire. But it was one of those things where like I was so excited about building that that it, it pushed me to work on it harder than I would have if it was something that I was less excited about. So like it was a skill builder and like maybe it didn't come out as good as it would have if it would have been the fifth thing that I built. But like, I don't know, there's that trade off of being extra excited and, and having that push you to like think about it. more. And it sets the bar. Like Bad Larry is such a good project that is sort of established, damn, for you, I, I imagine, right? Or at least whenever I saw the Bad, like I saw the Bad Larry video and that was like your second or third YouTube video, right? That was really... Uh, I was, uh, it was a little later than that, but yeah. Was it? Was, it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even, even your first video, The Bench, that I saw, mm-hmm. it's that same idea of with, with the video quality in parallel to the project quality like you're talking about, it sets the bar where if you come out with right. the first project or the first video really good, then it sort of makes you have to meet that expectation every time. And yeah, if what you're know, wanting to do is build really classy, real woodworking projects, then that's the move, right? Well, could, yeah, could you could kind of look at it as like a confidence builder, I guess. Where like, yeah, like if, if I, can I do accomplish this, accomplish this, then I can, like, if I can build a trapezoidal console, then I can certainly build a rectangular one. I don't know if that's yeah. true or not. Like sometimes <laughs> actually getting the right angles is harder, but like it, whether it's false or not, it gives you that confidence. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I dig that. Yeah, and again, I, d- I don't think it's that step-by-step instructions in videos are a bad thing. I think I was speaking more to the flatness that written step-by-step and PDF plans often have for things. Right. Yeah, the lack of a hierarchy. Video, right. In video, there's an, there's a, an ability through the, the amount of time you spend on one yes. step versus another step yeah. to, to differentiate. So it's like, with Ikea drawings, it's like every every step is equated. Mm-hmm. Whereas in your video, you might say, oh, and then I applied glue to the edge of this board. <laughs> that gets 
you know, four seconds, whereas doing the dados gets, you know, 30 seconds. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's so great about video is that that ability to kind of uh, zoom in and zoom out both with the lens and the scale of detail, but also with the amount of time that you spend on the trickier stuff. For sure. Now, what are you working on, though, then? <laughs> We're about 53 minutes <laughs> deep. What's Ben working on? <laughs> Couple things. Finishing up the, I poured a tin and bismuth coyote skull into a oh, yeah. polyurethane mold. The door but, knocker, right? Yep. So I finished up the steel part of the door knocker, just waiting for the paint to dry and then going to assemble that. And I'm working on a treeless tree house. So. Yeah, why don't you just take that it's one away? Because right? how do we yeah. respond to that? <laughs> right. So tree houses. Are I could awesome. say that I live in that. I live in a treeless treehouse. I saw. Do you have any trees on your property? I don't. It is truly treeless. It is truly treeless. <laughs> <laughs> I think tree houses are, are. I mean, we had a couple of them growing up that me and my brother built. They were awesome. We had a lot of fun in them. Uh, I just saw the really cool videos that Bob from I'd Like to Make Stuff did for his treehouse. Shout out mm-hmm. to Bob. I wanted to do a treehouse, but I don't got no trees. So <laughs> Joshua treehouse. Yeah, well, you can't touch the Joshua trees, and they're not yeah. really strong enough to 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 build as a or use as a structural component of something. Right. So I was thinking, what would be the coolest way to create that kind of feeling of something light and airy? And I'm still working through the design. I poured the foundation just because I kind of know how I'm going to get it up in the air. But I'm still just thinking about what are the elements of a treehouse that I want to kind of create. So the current thinking is that uh, as a kid, I always liked it. It was kind of like a secluded place where you could go to kind of read a book or hang out or have a conversation with your friends. And you're kind of up above the world. And, you know, it was like as as a kid, it's like one of the first few places where the kids hang out and the parents don't go. And so it's sort of like a little clubhouse thing. Then I was thinking about like the movement, you know, the treehouse we had as a kid was pretty high. It was about. 18 to 20 feet up in the air. That's really high. And what was cool is what we, you know, we would even sleep up there sometimes. And, you know, everything had a little bit of movement as the wind blows, the the whole tree would sway and creak and things like that. So you know I don't want funny? it to just be <laughs> an elevated platform. I want to have a lot of those sensations of, you know, very hammock-like, high up in the air, incredible views, like a, a sense of kind of isolation and reflection, and then also maybe a little bit of movement. When you first said movement, for some reason in my head, I was I thought you were talking about like a revolution, like oh, there's no. a treehouse <laughs> revolution coming and you guys all better get on board, damn it. There's a movement, treeless yeah. treehouses. <laughs> so it's going to involve a lot of steel and it's on a pretty remote part of the property. So I already did the hard part, which was lugging 800 pounds of concrete up the hill because we're we're building on the other side of the mountain away from the container house. So it won't be visible from the container house. And it's going to look like a kind of like a I think the way I described it to a friend was like a Cyclops lollipop. It'll basically be a, a series of kind of woven steel bars coming up from the ground. Very tree like. And then they'll form this big nest kind of thing up in the air. Mm-hmm. And it'll, I think it'll be made out of either one quarter inch steel rod or maybe like three eighths, something, something between those two. I'll have to do a little bit of test on the bends, but now, it should be a lot have, of fun. Like, do you already have drawings or anything? Like not, you know, schematics, but just like, here's like my basic idea as you were thinking about it, or is it just in your head and then you start going? So I did drawings technical drawings for architecture projects for so long that I just kind of got sick of drawing stuff on a computer. Mm-hmm. So all there's a big spherical part that's going to be made out of bent steel rod. Okay. And so I sketch out that part to kind of figure out what do I want the diameter to be. But really, I just think of projects like this is connecting the dots. So all I have to do is find the dots, not figure out every single connection in between them. So right. I know I need to create a really stable anchor to the ground so the whole thing doesn't tip over and can withstand really high wind speeds. I know that I really want to figure out how to make a lightweight steel sphere that you can climb inside of. And so that was like, those were like the two unknowns. So I did a little bit of research onto how much concrete I should use and what type of reinforcement schedule. So that was a research to kind of solve that, that part of it. 
Um, and now I'm figuring out how I'm going to make this big steel sphere. And what I'm currently thinking is cut a circle out of plywood, probably 32 inches mm-hmm. as the radius, and then bend steel rod around it and then make a bunch of these hoops, put the hoops inside of each other and kind of spin them to make a wireframe globe and then sort of bend and weld steel to those sort of hoops. So once I have those kind of concepts in place that are plausible, those are sort of my working theories of design, then I just go for it. So I just have in my head is, um, I don't know if they do it at like the circus maybe, but where they put like five guys on motorcycles inside of a ball. Yep. Yeah. That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. So I just need a few of the different dots. And then the thinking with your hands part is the part where I sort of fill in the in-between areas. Gotcha. Treeless treehouse movement. Everybody get on board. Yeah, but that'll be the interesting part, right? This thing's not going to move at all. It's going to be welded steel. But all made of really slender parts. So I I think it'll kind of be like a, you know what it's going to kind of look like? An upside down wrecking ball where the cable that holds the wrecking ball unfrays and goes around the ball and then you remove the ball. So you just like hang in this like upside down steel ball hammock. Yeah, that's kind of like shaped like a pear almost, right? A little bit. Upside down pear, I guess. A little bit. More okay, I'm just excited to see it. It's yeah. one of those things that an ice cream cone. Everybody's going to picture it a little bit differently. Cyclops I'm excited lollipop. to see it in real life. That's it. Just think of a Cyclops lollipop and you've got it. <laughs> it's exactly that. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into what we're obsessed with. But before we do that, let's take one quick last ad break. If you've ever wanted to start your own online store, there's no better time than right now. E-commerce brings in over $500 billion in sales each year, and that's projected to grow to $1 trillion in the next decade. If you have a business or product idea, let's face it, you need to be selling online. But maybe you're scared of how much time it'll take to code your own website or how expensive it would be to hire someone else. Enter Volusion, the easiest and fastest all-in-one e-commerce platform. Designed specifically for small businesses, you don't need any design or coding experience. Imagine opening the online store of your dreams in minutes instead of weeks. Volusion offers stunning 100% free themes built from the ground up with clean, modern design and built-in SEO to help drive traffic to your store. Just drag and drop your products, manage your inventory, accept credit card payments, and easily connect with your customers. Then take sales to the next level with hundreds of free apps and integrations and premium shipping discounts. Plus, Volusion has in-house marketing and design experts that'll help you target your audience in no time. And with no transaction fees ever, Volusion merchants make on average two times more than on other platforms. Now, after hearing all this, I had to try Volusion for myself. So I built a test site using the theme Threads and Laces, which is a super clean, minimal store design. All I needed to do to create product listings were drag and drop photos, add a simple description, and set my price. That's it. I was able to build an entire test site in under 30 minutes. So come see why Volusion is the number one rated e-commerce platform according to Trustpilot. Get a free 14-day no-risk trial, no credit card required when you visit volusion.com maker. And as a special for the Modern Maker podcast listeners, get 50% off your first month's plan when you use the code maker. This is an exclusive discount available only to our listeners. So to repeat, get a 14-day no-risk trial, again, no credit card required, by visiting volusion.com slash maker and use the code maker to get 50% off your first month's plan. That's V-O-L-U-S-I-O-N. Thanks, Volusion. And we're back. Smooth. Time to talk about what we're obsessed with. Have you been watching anything, listening to anything, or been exposed to anything new that you are currently obsessed with. Mike? I've got one. It's not, even, it's not even something that I'm newly exposed to, so I think it's really funny that that's how I decided to describe this mine segment. Is, maybe these are going to be old obsessions then, because that's how mine is too. So this is a 10-year anniversary of an album that I really loved, and or I still do love. In fact, I listened to it today while we were taping up, or I listened to it yesterday while we were uh, working on the bus, and it is... The album The Death of Day by O oh Brother. It's their sort of debut EP. It's one of my favorite ba- bands. So it's O oh, apostrophe Brother. And this is their sort of first five songs that they released. It's incredible. I would actually recommend 
start on track three and then yeah. listen through the entire thing. So whenever so it goes, skip one three, four, it'll go three, four, five, one, two. That's okay, how you'll gotcha. listen to it for the best experience. All right, I'm going to check it out today. It's, it's really amazing. They're sort of the band that whenever I was writing music that influenced me most, I have l- the exact same bass, ri- bass rig as their bass player because his tone is so good. What, and, uh, uh, like what style of music is it? Oof. I would say it's long, drawn out, heavy rock music. Okay. Uh, so they take a lot of instrumental. They take a uh, there is singing, but they take a lot of elements of bands like you know Sigur Rose or This okay. Will Destroy You. A lot of that ambience and atmospheric kind of stuff, but then combine it with just the grittiness and heaviness of just like you know everything that came after like Foo Fighters. You know what I mean? Just like heaviness. Yeah. So Oh Brother, and then what was it Day of Days? The Death of Day. The Death of Day. Yep. So it came so out close. in 2000. It came out in 2009. It's about to be the 10 year anniversary of it. And it's amazing. So check it out. And if you really do enjoy it, go listen to their first audio tree. I've talked about audio tree, I think, yeah. like 20 times on this show. Uh, but they were actually show. they were the first audio tree I saw. And their audio tree was the first thing that I listened to of them. So mm. it was sort of like the birth of two of my biggest obsessions. Um, they've got like the best just the best audio tree session that that there is and it's their their first one they've done three sessions overall nice well mine is something that's probably about from the same time as that and i've been even though i've already probably watched the whole show three times i for some reason decided to watch it again mad men mad men is good dude i've seen it twice all the way through yeah Yeah. this is probably like my fourth time watching i've just been like powering through them every night i've been (laughs) probably having trouble sleeping it sleeping because i'm watching it but I watch it because I have trouble sleeping. Right. So every night I'll like watch two episodes when I go to bed or whatever. And the the main thing that's like really struck me this time is how funny it is. Like it's a funny okay. show. I, well, it I, is. Yeah. Like especially the Pete's character for some reason just cracked me up. Like he's just always like so unhappy about everything. He's never <laughs> like he's, he never has sustained happiness about anything. No. Like something good will happen and like he'll always see like the cynical side of whatever it is that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm probably, but I'd say I'm season five, probably towards about the end of season five right now. And man, if you have not watched that show, like it's, I would say it's like in my top five shows of all time. It might be in top 10 for me. I don't know if it's quite top five, but it's so good. The acting is great. The writing is good. They do such a good job of sort of creating, you know, I wasn't around for that period, but what seems to be a really accurate sort of time capsule of the culture and and the whole aesthetic of that era. Mm -hmm. It's like one of those shows that is very thorough on top of just being well-written and funny and a good drama. Right. Yeah. Mad Men's solid. It's a, there is kind of a nice visual pleasantness to it. Yeah. It's, I really enjoyed the show. The part that would always, I still always think of was how bad people must've smelled back then. (laughs) The cigarettes, drunk smells. and smoking. And <laughs> so in wore a lot suits of when it's like, yeah, it's there like was a not a lot of air conditioning. Suit, degrees. Deodorant was probably pretty terrible or non-existent. People didn't also shower. I think I was remember reading not as much back then. So I just imagine kind of like offices smelling like smoky, sweaty, bo, dank. And I don't think things are that accurate, right? Like as a portrayal, like from what I understand, like way more people had acne and pimples like back in the day, like. Their skincare just wasn't as good. Well, yeah, but you can't you can't make John Ham <laughs> riddled with some pimples. pimples on him. <laughs> right. So I get that, but it's it's part of the thing that I do think is kind of it kind of leads people to have like a really kind of glossy nostalgia about the past. Right. You only get the good. And like I do like the furniture and the set design and that stuff, but then I'm like, oh yeah, that and be, but whenever I start thinking like, oh, that would be like a cool time period, I'm thinking like, oh yeah, except I would be working in a laundry or the elevator guy would be like the highest level of achievement that I can. Yeah. And I would just be wanting to punch Pete Campbell's of the world right in the face <laughs> like every day. Cause I don't know if it's a top five show, but Pete Campbell top five, most punchable faces of like any <laughs> TV show for sure. Accurate, accurate. All right, so what's the show like that for you then, Ben? Um, Succession. I feel like if you like Mad Men and some yeah, of the same kind of deep character it. studies, uh, Succession is hard to get into. If you can make it to the fourth episode, you're probably good. But I'm not going to talk about TV today. I'm going to talk about some architecture. So 
BRK Ingalls is probably like one of the most prominent, uh, I want to say young, because he's probably like kind of middle-aged, but that's young for how accomplished he is in the field of architecture. They just sort of unveiled his new twist museum. I love a good bridge building, a building, building that's both a bridge and a building. And so he created this museum that is kind of simple with a twist. And it's in, uh, I think, outside of Oslo, Norway. Uh, so if you just look Bjarke Ingels or just look at Twist Museum Norway, you'll see it. It's kind of a one-liner, but it's a good one-line. And it's, I think it's like the kind of thing that if you saw it as a, as a child, it would just open up such an imaginative way of thinking about what buildings could be. And awesome. it's incredibly futuristic in the form and materials, but it's sitting in this like beautiful forested river and it looks phenomenal. So That's shout awesome. out to BRK. And you're saying BRK, the letters? B-J-A-R-K. Ah, okay. It's not B-R-K. an American. Got it. Okay. Well, in fact, text me a link to whatever you think is the best source for that. And we'll be sure to put it in the show notes. I'm looking at it right now. Pretty crazy. Like, yeah, when for some reason, when you first started describing it, I was going to picture it more vertical oriented, where it was going to mm-hmm. be like twisting, coming up like a spiral or something. But no, it's not like that at all. It's cool, cool. right? Yeah, it's awesome. Right on. Everybody check it out. All right, wrap us up, Mike. All right. I should have that that should have been my spot. I should have known was, to me, I should have known that to was do your it. Cue. All right. Sorry I missed it. But we appreciate you all listening every week. Thanks for making us a part of your routine, whether that's on your commute to work or in your workshop. We greatly appreciate it. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do that. I am at Modern Builds and my name's Mike Montgomery. Chris Salamoni is at Four Eyes Furniture, and you can find him by searching either of those things. Ben Ueda is at Benjamin Ueda on Instagram, and he's at Homemade Modern on YouTube. If you're not already participating in the Rockler Bentwood Challenge, don't worry. There's still time. You've got until the end of October. That's correct, Chris? That is correct. All right. So realistically, you've got over a month. That's you're, We're still not even into the period of excuses yet. You've got more time than it should take. So get it in there and just make sure and hashtag all your Instagram posts and all of your YouTube videos with hashtag Rockler Bentwood Challenge. That way we can index and find them. So thanks again for y'all who have already participated and everybody that's planning to. Other than that, that's it, right? I mean, thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to you guys for listening. And we'll see you next week. This has been the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye.